Welcome to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Wordbee. I'm your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. And in this episode, for the first time, we are having two guests on the show, which is Javier Gomez and Sandra Lucia Toledo. They are partners in life and business, and Javier is an English to Latin American Spanish translator, reviewer, and writer, specializing in video game and software localization, comics, media, and entertainment. And Sandra is also translating from English to Latin American Spanish, as well as conference interpreting. They founded together their company, Ludus Localization, which is a translation company focused on video game localization. Welcome to the show, guys. Hi. Hi. Thanks for Thank having you. us. And hi, everyone who's listening. It's great to have you. Well, maybe we can start off with you guys sharing a little bit about your background or when you got into the industry and what you've seen in all the years that you've been working in games localization. All right. Yeah, well, I started as a game localization professional in 2008. It was sort of a fluke. I saw an ad. And I, I replied to it and they sent a test and it was for an AAA game. And I passed it because I was a huge fan of the game and I had lost many, many, many hours of study playing it. And so in a way, my activities in my free time became my profession. I started like that. It was a dream job, so it was weird. I couldn't even believe it because they sent me a ticket to fly from Argentina to here to the UK. And I was not expecting that at all. And after that, that was my foot in the door. Then I started working for different companies and with projects ranging from AAA RPGs to mobile strategy or clones of games that we all play on Facebook. I've been all across the board really, but my favorite is games that have some sort of narrative content behind them. I love to work on RPGs. I like to work on horror games, something that has a story, that tells a story because I'm also a writer. So I get bored very easily with cookie cutter narratives. And I've been a translator and interpreter since 2008, but I've been in the gaming translation industry since 2012. Even though I used to play video games when I was younger, I'm not what you would describe as a gamer or a nerd, but I've always been an avid literature reader. I love movies, TV shows, theater, circus, and any kind of creative media. I got into this industry because I was getting absolutely bored of translating legal content, medical content, automotion, technical. I felt like a robot. There was no soul in it, no creativity involved. So... I needed something else from my job and I wanted to expand, explore and challenge my translation skills and creativity. So I did my research and I found some localization companies which were specializing games. I did a test and I passed it and I've been working ever since. And I started in really small projects and I ended up being part of translation teams of the one that we mentioned before, Torment, Tides of Numenera, Tales of Briseria, Rock Band Fort, The Walking Dead, The Wolf Among Us, and many others. But it was, I just needed a challenge and I wanted to use my creativity and my soul into translation, which is something that I really love. So that is more or less my own story with this business. 
Yeah, there's, there's a parallel story <laughs> to that one, which is how we met, which was working for a localization company, but maybe we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> yeah, there's a love story behind it. I don't awesome. know if you guys want to know about that. <laughs> Yeah, let's, uh, I mean, if it's a good one yeah, uh, and you good. don't mind sharing it, like, I don't see uh, why not. Everyone All loves right. a love story. Do you want to tell Yeah, us? yeah, we met when we were working we for... We were both a, working for the same company, the same but company. Javi, yeah. Javi was working in Brazil and I was working in Buenos Aires. And they sent me on a trip to Brazil. He was working for a different project. Can you tell the name? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, was, I was the team leader for Diablo 3 for the Latin American Spanish localization and then there we met, but we, nothing happened there. But I fell completely in love with her. And then when I got back to Argentina, I started pursuing her. No, you sound like a stalker. Actually, we, <laughs> well, we are not, I mean, in Rosario, in our city, there are not many game localization professionals. So we ended up being part of the same projects. It's like destiny wanted us to be together. So we started like mainly exchanging emails. You know, he's a writer and he's a really good writer. And apparently he was really into me. So he kind of did like a small kind of... Small, like very little progress every time, but I got there. He got there, he got me drunk on... <laughs> Six years later, we're here translating together. That's a very quick <laughs> overview of the situation. Yeah, but... All jokes aside, uh, it does work, and we really do work like a hype mind when we translate. Yeah. We have our own method of reading and interpreting and doing like a base translation and then several iterations of it, and that's how we review and edit and proofread our content. We kind of know each other's creative process when translating. So it's kind of easy, it feels light, and it goes really fast, and the quality that we can produce, it's high. But we started actually working together accidentally because we were working for the same companies and we ended up on the same projects. Then we moved in together, and I think the first project that we did together was The Walking the Dead. Walking Dead. Either The Walking Dead of, or The Wolf Among Us. Yeah. I don't remember which one was first. Yeah. But yeah, that was like our test as a team and it did work really and well. And as a couple living together too, because <laughs> yeah. two freelance translators living together, it can get very intense because you're in the same room on the same project, you have lunch together, you sleep together, well, you did everything together. But that kind of life uh, led us to what we have now, which is, as Javi said, it's like a hive mind. We know each other so well that we know what the other one could think or do or solve any kind of problem when it comes to translation? Yeah, that gives us an advantage as a team, as leaders, and that also allows us to choose people better for what they're supposed to do. We, the people that work with us, they all have like specializations within game localization. We have one of our colleagues, he loves medieval weaponry and research into that, so we tend to give him items files and description files and we will sort of know what to do when we get a project mm -hmm. yeah we've got a group of people who are yeah they are they have different skills you know we feel like when you love what you do if you're doing what you like the most you're going to give the best that you can so 
Yeah, healing. That's yeah. one of our projects. Yeah, if there's no joy in what you do, what's the point what's of doing it? What's the point it, of right? doing it? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it, it goes faster and it, it just feels better. And you can see that uh, on the results and the quality that we deliver. It kind of sounds gamified too, you know, like I'm, I'm imagining the two of you as like little game characters and you're like walking down to the Smith shop and you're ordering like translation of all the armor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good way of putting yeah, it, like yeah. seeing life as quests with side quests yeah. and all that. Well, yeah, our, I like life, our life is a bit like that. It's a quest. Yeah, yeah it is a quest. <laughs> I have a very serious hobby. I mean, I do circus, so... In a way, I feel like I'm a bit of a of a character. There you go. Those are your special skills. Uh, I can fly. <laughs> I believe I can fly. Well, that's for sure a great story to tell. And thanks for sharing that with us, guys. Yes. Sorry if we so, made you bored, guys. <laughs> no, not at all. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. It's the first love story in our podcast. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah, fun inside at the <laughs> I think we need to do this again in a few years and keep checking back on your love story, you know? Like... <laughs> you can do that, you can do that. Yeah, yeah, we wouldn't mind. I don't know if we'll continue to be translators. Maybe you will be a known published writer and I'm finally going to be know. a I... circus artist. I don't know. I think You I'm... never know with us. <laughs> I, I'm a bit lazy to be a, a full-time writer. I can't do that Stephen King thing of writing 2,000 or 3,000 words per day, but maybe... We'll see. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the nitty-gritty. <laughs> we talked before in a little bit that we want to talk about evolution versus involution in the industry. And yeah, I guess I'm just curious if you can unpack that for us. Sure. The, the main thing that I've seen since I've started is a massive growth, logically. When the first time that I worked in, game was for, in gaming was for StarCraft II, and we didn't have the same distribution platforms, logically. There was no platform specifically designed for that, for selling games. And that was a massive change for our region, as in Latin America, it wasn't easy to get a hold of proper physical retail version games. So that growth brought a lot of competition for us as professionals in game localization, which is good when it's based on quality. When we started, we were very few people that did that. I remember like when we formed the StarCraft II team, it was very hard to actually find four translators in the whole of Latin America that had the skills and the knowledge to do that. So it's great that it was based on quality, but that's not always the case, especially when there's more demand for translators. The good side of this growth, it's that it sparked the creation of specialized courses and online resources they didn't exist 10 or 15 years ago. This podcast is an example of that, that we're talking about game localization and anyone in the world can have access to this. It's an example of that change. There's also platforms, there's also groups on Facebook, on LinkedIn or whatever. That is the good side of growth. Mm -hmm. Also, translators from other areas started shifting to us game localization, some of them with excellent results, because it, we used to believe that it was only for gamers, but it's not the case. If you have the chops, you can make it in game localization. You need creativity, you need 
good writing skills on your native tongue. That's key because it's not always the case. There's a lot of people with gaming knowledge that, sorry, I don't mean to be rude, but some people don't know how to write properly in oh. their own language. It sounds harsh, but it's a problem for us sometimes. We'll discuss that, that a bit further on. So that growth brought competition based on quality in an aspect, but it also brought cheap competition, which is usually based on price. And we saw a lot of that in Latin America due to the currency difference, if you compare it to Europe or the States or the UK. So some people started charging very low rates for localization and competing on price. And that's severely detrimental for the whole industry, for translation, for gaming, because it can make or break a product. And it's very hard to come back from a bad reputation in a whole region. People just, they wouldn't bother playing the game. Probably produced content lowers the intellectual level of a game also. If you have games with heavy narratives, like an example would be Torment, Ties of Numenera, but you have many games with that kind of writing. And it feels like you're underestimating the player when you localize it poorly. It very much feels like it would, something that would happen with a novel, like an extreme example would be applying Google Translate to a Song of Ice and Fire. You would get a very poor result. And you, you see that sometimes in game localization. Generally not with AAA products, but with mid-level products, you kind of see that, you see that in Facebook games or in mobile games, which is sad because it lowers everyone's expectations as well. We tend to get a bad rap as game localization professionals in general for every language. It's like, there's this line in Italian, traduttore, traditore, that's as we're- A translator is a traitor. A translator is a traitor. And it's not the case when it's well done, but it's, it's something that sparks from poorly produced content, I believe. And these, these mid-level games, do, are they doing that for budgetary reasons? Like they can't afford to make a better localization or is it more like they just don't know how or they don't understand the value of it? Or We think it's a mix of everything because sometimes you get clients that are very enthusiastic about their product, but they have never worked with localization before and maybe they would need assessment in order of how to build the proper team, how to streamline the whole process because it's not easy and it keeps changing all the time. There's people who work doing that, like Kate Edwards in the States or Richard Haywood. You need to hire someone, especially if you're going to work with many languages, you need to have a proper structure. It's not like there's this misconception that you should divide and conquer and just get the text and send it to 12 different teams or 12 different translators. And you wouldn't get a cohesive product with that. You need some sort of guideline in the way you think about how you're going to adapt your game world, your names, your languages, everything, even graphic content. You need to have everything into consideration and that's where some companies fail. Sometimes it's related to budget, but I think that problem can be like, there's workarounds that you can make it work 
even with a limited budget. You just have to know how to do things from the get-go and think about localization from the get-go, even when you're writing the game. You were saying that, especially in South America, you saw basically cheap competition popping up and cheap localization services being out there. Is that, would you say that's because the companies are putting pressure on price or it's the translators that just offer their services for way too cheap? Well, it could be a combination of both, but sometimes it has to do with how big companies deal with their budget. As Javi said, sometimes they just have like a really big project and just they assume that if they divide it among 12 translators, they will get it faster so that they can deliver the product faster, but then the quality is, is affected. Another thing is there's always people who will do things for a cheaper price, but they are not going to do it with the same love and passion that a professional who loves his job or her job would do it. So if you reduce this to a thing like uh, just thinking it up from your pocket, from a money point of view, if you're just doing the job because of the money, then you're not going to be taking care of the, of the quality. And you don't really care about the product or your job. So we've seen some cases of translators that we've seen their names over and over again, making the same mistakes. Even us as, as editors, we have to deal with them. And you give them the tools to change, to improve. Some people, they just don't care. They just think about just having a check, getting paid, and that's it. But I think it's a combination of both. If you find a company who have a low budget, they will go ahead with the cheap option, and that's it. We've got many discussions with some companies about it. Yeah, that's also something that affects the whole translation industry, not only game localization. Some translators, they're afraid to, I don't know, run out of work, or they even don't know the value of their own work, and they charge very low prices. But that leads to them having to translate stupid amounts of words per day. Like, I don't know, there's people who claim they can do like proper 4,000 words per day, which is impossible to do with real good quality, especially in game localization, if you consider the item lists, names, if you consider the kind of content that you're dealing with, it's impossible to do that kind of work in a whole day with proper quality. So that leads to them overworking and that introduces more mistakes and it's a whole like, it's a snowball process really. And we've been trying to change it for ages, like, I mean, we as translators and translators organizations, but it's very, very difficult to get that message across. Sometimes I believe this is a personal opinion. I think it should be reinforced during your translation training, either in college or, or in private courses, wherever you go, you need to know the value of your own work. Always. The worst thing that can happen for us as translators is like, there's a reason why we study translation. And it was because we wanted to bring something from another culture to your own culture and being able to adapt that for people to have the knowledge to 
just get to know another another culture. And the worst thing that we can hear is like when we've got a lot of friends that are gamers and when they say like, I'd rather just play the game in English because the Latin American version is just ugly. And you just look at them and it's like, oh my gosh, that that is because of this kind of uh, thing that happens that big companies with low budgets and cheap translators, they don't make a good name for that. Yeah, sometimes it's tied up also to the mobile and social boom. When you have, they brought new challenges, those two platforms. Like everybody started playing games on their phones and in Facebook. And that increased the amount of work that we have. And maybe at some point there was simply too much content to be localized. And everyone jumped into the gaming wagon. New types of content were added to the mix. You have features for social interaction, sharing, streaming, commercialization. Everyone is playing some kind of game in social media nowadays. And the product scope was expanded. So now you have more work and different kind of content. You have to now you have to have certain marketing flair when you translate because you tr- all the time you're translating blurbs for advertising, social media, even community-related posts. And you have to add that to your localization skills, which is good because you grow, but not everybody is willing to do that. You need to have a bit of search engine optimization knowledge, target audience knowledge, other kind of details that are relatively new. So many translators just keep on doing it without researching, and that damages the content as well. New challenges are always good and are always welcome, but you have to be up to step up to the plate. And coming back to what Robert asked about uh, mobile and social games, we have observed that uh, mobile and social games tend to have less budget than their mainstream counterparts, which means less money for localizations. And for genres like RPG or adventures based on narrative, This is a huge disadvantage that often leads to substandard translations done by inexperienced workers. This is what I was talking about. It's not always the case, but it does happen a lot. Some clients are also new to the localization process and they introduce mistakes in the workflow or even the content. So basically the solution to all this on both sides would be education. Educate the client, educate the translators from the ground. So we can develop a better workflow and end up with better products. That would be the idea. Well, that's kind of what we are trying to do with the podcast. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here, and we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Wordbee Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years. So it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. 
you know you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any any moment in your project it's easy to set up different job assignment methods you know you can check your stats at any time you can see how your project managers are performing you can see how your translators are doing and yeah it does pretty much everything you want it ends up fitting your organization like a glove as we say so that was just a word about Werby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. So like, would it be difficult to just say, okay, I'm not going to do the mobile social work. I'm just going to stay with the big games. Or is there not enough work in those kinds of games to stay busy? Or is it like now you have to do a little bit of everything? We still try to do a little bit of, of everything, but we try to base our, base our choices in what we like as content, more as... Uh, we don't pay that much attention to the platform. In my case, there, I have some certain projects that I, I want to do that. If it's a medieval RPG, or if it's horror, or if it has some sci-fi element, I will jump into that. And I wouldn't pay attention to the platform if I like the content. I try to focus on what the narrative entails. If there's character growth, if I like the world, but if I could choose, I don't know if anyone can choose, but if I could choose, I could choose on a case-by-case -case basis and not only based on the platform or the franchise. I love indie games, so when we get an indie game, I try to make it work, but sometimes it's not possible because they really don't have the budget because maybe it's two people making a game and they really don't have a budget and they search for volunteers, and that's fine because you can get really good volunteer translations, but I can't do it, especially at this point that it's my means of living. Yeah. Sometimes you can choose because you've got the options, but 2018, with this mobile boom and social games, we weren't able to choose because all that we were offered, every single project, it was mobile or social. So we couldn't choose, but we do our best, but it's not always the case. There's also a, a disconnect between freelancing and working in-house and many, many companies would rather have a team of translators in-house. Yes. Yeah. So some AAA projects, many of them are done that way, are localized that way. And that's a trade-off that I'm not willing to do. I wouldn't work in-house again, but that's just me. Some people do it and they love it, but I'm not made for that. I'd rather have my freedom and work on smaller games than working on AAA games all the time. But some of them are outsourced. That's how we did Torment, that's how we did Rock Band 4, that's how we did The Walking Dead and many others, Tales mm -hmm. of Syria. But yeah, it's, it's a trade-off. You have to make your own path. I would consider working in-house again if I really loved the project. If it's something that, that I really love, I would do it again. I did it with Diablo 3 and I enjoyed it, but it was very challenging. I felt like I was there all the time. You were there all the time. <laughs> <laughs> you were like a zombie. You were he was just part of the computer, you know? Just a character in the game. Yeah. No, he was part of the computer, which was translated to the game. Like I don't uh. know, like a, key, like a keyboard or a mouse, like yeah. 
I would say like the hard disk. <laughs> <laughs> you, you put a lot of love in, yeah, into that project. I, yeah, I think that's how you burn out when you put a lot of love but into you it. But you don't want to do that. You want to have a life also. Even if you're a freelancer, you work at home, you don't see people all the time. So it's good to have a hobby or something that will make you go out to the world and just face other humans. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> It's healthy. It's hard when, when one of your hobbies is gaming. but Or writing. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but... You're a proper that, nerd hobby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. That's that was, what brought me here. That was actually an interesting point because you said, you know, you were very passionate about the project and you were working in-house back then. So do you think that's why a lot of companies choose to work with in-house translators because you get a lot more attached maybe to the project? It could be seen that way because you're there all the time and we were both teams were there we were working al alongside the brazilian portuguese team if they're listening i say hi to them they are amazing they i made a lot of friends and i learned a lot from them because we shared and our languages are so similar that we could brainstorm together for names for locations so yeah maybe you get a bit more passionate about it but you lose part of the freedom and the freedom is what makes you more creative. I mm. think that I mm. definitely believe that I can produce better content if I'm free to work whenever I want and if I don't have to be there from nine to five. But that's the way my brain works. I always have a notepad open where I scribble down ideas that maybe they turn into stories or maybe they go into the Spanish version of the game as names or as jokes or as language-based jokes. I'm a lover of puns and jokes and that's one of my favorite things to translate so i'm always creating and recreating and i didn't do that all the time when i was in house because i felt watched basically mm -hmm. yeah I, that makes a lot but of on the other hand on the other hand you were actually immersed in the game you were brainstorming with the other teams and yeah i feel like you're more connected to the game so in a way you can deliver your best there But I think it depends on each individual's special case. You're like a creative mind. Yeah. You yeah. hate being observed and watched and yeah, controlled. Yeah. I wouldn't say a rebel, but a, a questioner maybe. <laughs> I question everything. But going back to the evolution of the industry, one of the good sides for me was how computer-assisted translation tools started adding features that are very useful for us, yeah. especially when it comes for When it comes to handling terminology in very large projects, in franchises that span different platforms, in multilingual projects, that was awesome for us. I remember when I started in 2008, I wouldn't say, I won't say the name, but I hated my translation tool. I really <laughs> hated it. And then... A few years. Just so long as that it wasn't word B. <laughs> no, 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 of course. No, okay. No, no <laughs> as, as a matter of fact, I've used it and I really, really like it. Yeah, so, it's good. It's good. It's very good. But they also introduced server-based operations along the line, which streamlined the process for these kind of projects. I remember working with, with a very clunky online translation. Oh my God, but, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, but... <laughs> it sparked the evolution of others. And mm. now it has gotten to a point where you 
really don't feel that you're working online or that you have to wait for the server to respond. However, these translation memories that are in these CAT tools are sometimes used as an infallible tool for word counting. And part of the text can be considered a partial mart or even repetition when it's completely new, depending on the content. And as a general rule, companies strive to lower the costs, which is not always a smart move when it comes to full localization of a product that you want to sell worldwide. So it can be great to streamline the localization process, but it can be tricky when it comes to uh, counting the amount of words and the amount you get paid, basically. Yeah, yeah you, you, we have been offered like, oh, we have 4,000 words and maybe it's 40,000 and it's not all repetitions and fuzzy matches sometimes. So I think you have to, and you have as a project manager, you would need to know what kind of content goes into the project that you're sending. Uh, this tendency to count everything as only words, mm -hmm. but you get a list of items and maybe if you have 500 words, it could take you a whole day. Yeah. We had, when we were working on Diablo 3, we had a system that was used to create items. I'm sure you're, everyone who has, who has played a Diablo clone is familiar with that. And you had to be very careful with adjectives, with gender, with noun. It was a mess if you weren't thinking. So that's what sometimes it's not taken into account and it's just counted as words. And some tasks that are paid per word should be paid per hour. But that's also part of educating the client, both the client and the project manager, because I've had awesome project managers and I've had people who basically knew about business, but they didn't know anything about translation or localization. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm not in games localization, right? But like if you could just, uh, you know, you could potentially have a different price per word for items than a different price per word for dialogue than a different price per word for calls to action or advertisements and stuff, blurbs if they were just separated in the files so that you could you knew the word count of each type, would that help? I think that That's could, that could be helpful, yeah. yeah. But I've never seen it so far. I don't know if it exists. I haven't seen it. We have worked with many localization yeah. companies and we never saw that. Is that something that you've just think about or just an idea that you just had or have you seen it happening, actually? No, I just Pretty had the idea. Oh, That's how I would do it. That's yeah. all. Right. It's actually quite smart. People listen right. to this. Listen to Robert. It's good. Listen to Robert. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess like when you were exporting your strings or whatever, you would have to, um, you know, have a way to know the difference between the types. So you would have to, I suppose the developers would have to do that. But then once yeah, you had that done, it would make things a lot easier. That's the difficult part because you get all sorts of organization within the content. Some companies are very thorough and they have separate files for everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you get a chunk of 200,000 words. Just do it. On a CSV file, mm -hmm. which has no organization whatsoever. So just a few references yeah. now and there. You can play a bit, you can watch some so videos in YouTube. You, and can, then... you can imagine how hard would it be to sort that file out. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
No? <laughs> well, that gives you an idea. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm thinking about You're CSV like, hmm. too. Uh, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, awful, awful, awful files. But yeah, you, you work with what you have. I had to work once. I had to do the localization of a full website for a game in Notepad++. <laughs> Just because there were... This was in medieval times, like when I was starting and there was no way of doing anything around that. You just had to work within the text and be mindful of terminology and consistency. And it worked. It worked. It's still online and it's nice, but it would probably take me half the time with WordBee or with mm -hmm. other similar tools. Mm -hmm. Don't those days feel a little bit like the Wild West, though? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We joke a lot about that with a Brazilian colleague. He's he's actually a bit older than me and we're like the veterans and when everything was wild and there was nothing certain and we were like the pioneers, but it's you feel a bit old when you joke about that too. Mm. <laughs> you are old. I'm not old. I'm not old yet. I'm a young soul. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, you like a little bit earlier, we were talking about how the industry, the growth of the industry brought like cheap competition and it needs that industry needs education. What are some strategies that you would incorporate to new translators or new people in the industry? Like, how can they get into, if they're just getting into game localization and if they're new to the industry, how, what are the strategies that you would be using to make sure that the quality is okay and that they get the experience that they need? Well, for I, I could go back to what you said before. First of all, know what you're worth. Like, if you are in, the, in this creative industry of games, you are putting a lot of effort there. Like, just choosing names for weapons, for whatever it is, names, you become a sort of a writer. So that you have to get paid for that. On the translator side, I would probably say that game localization should be part of the translation training already. I don't know if, I think there are some countries that are doing it, but it's not the case, at least in our country yet. So I would probably add that to the translation training. I've been involved in teaching about five, six years ago, but it was, everything was short courses. I would do it as part of the college training for translations. And other thing that would be probably great would be teaching people how to write in their own language, but not only grammar and, and basic writing, like creative writing. There's not enough of that in translation training, at least in Argentina. That is part of the translation training program though. Yeah, but it's not, it's done in a way that's very basic. It should be more geared towards something more literary and more related to creative media and to series, to comic books. You need to expand your mind to working games because the content is always changing and different. On the company side, I would say that probably you should hire an expert before you start the process. Not all companies do that. Not all companies have the budget for that, but there should be people involved that 
are familiar with this environment and what the localization process entails. And it's not always the case. It's, there's just this idea that you can just pick up the text and send it to directly to a translator or even to a localization company. But you should have someone that knows the project, that knows the franchise, if it's a franchise that is familiar with the whole world, because that person could give an outline of what is necessary for that project to be localized. I'm talking about full world localization. Like if you take the example of Diablo as something that I know very well, we were given creative freedom. We were given a lot of background material to read, to research. We played the games again, the previous games. You need to do a thorough research and everyone who's on board should be at that level. It's not just translating words. It's adapting a whole world, a whole fictional world into a culture. So there's certain sensibilities that you need to have in order to do that. You wouldn't translate the same word in the same way if it's a game set in space or if it's a game set in medieval times. And sometimes it happens. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it happens. You see a lack of knowledge or a lack of love for what people are doing. And it's not purely, it's not that they are evil. It's just lack of education. Mm -hmm. Just that. It could be solved with that. For translators that are just beginning in this industry, I would just tell them to read in your own language, as Javi said. Once that you finish your translation training program, just keep on reading and writing, creative writing in your own language. Just, it's, just make sure you're using the right grammar. Because when you are in a project, then you have the time to immerse in the game, to know the context, to know where it's set. I mean, you can do that. You can learn how to do that. That's really fast. But having the tools of good writing and being able to adapt different words, well, that's something that only comes with reading, reading a lot. There's a very basic tool that has helped us a lot, and we still use it, and it's for adapting word, worlds and characters and certain type of writing, and it's very, very basic. But if you have, for example, a game like XCOM or StarCraft II, mm -hmm. I would probably read similar books in my language, I would read Starship Troopers yeah. and novels like that. That will give you a window into the vocabulary and the sentence structure and, and the feel of that world. We did that when we were working with Diablo. We did that with sorcery books and low fantasy books. And we read a lot of Conan and of Robert Howard's short stories just to get the feel of the adjectives that they use, of the kind of lexicon that they use. Just to immerse in the, in the universe of the things you're going to be working with. Because when you are in front, when you face the text, then everything, if you have that background knowledge, then the translation, the process goes quicker, faster, everything just flows naturally because you're already immersed in that world, in that universe. So yeah, that's great advice, actually. And also play, play, play a lot. Play, play <laughs> that, a lot. That's research too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be aware of new trends, 
new kinds of games, new features. You know, it's funny because in business, just in general, I encounter a lot of, you know, like businesses are trying to define all the time, like what's core to my business and what's not core to my business. And for me, like, for example, in software, you know, I always thought that at least it's my personal opinion that everything is the product, right? So the documentation is the product, the help desk is the product, the software itself, the copy, like everything from one end to the other is all part of the experience and it's all core. But there's always kind of a battle, I think, between people that want to say, oh no, this is core and this we can do cheap, you know, or this doesn't require the same level of of effort or, or concentration. And I, I don't know, it's just very interesting. You know, some people have a very industrial point of view and like they want to ship something fast or they want to ship it, you know, they have some strategy in place to make money and they think it's going to be better if it's faster. And then you have people who are more like artisanal that are like, let's make something really great. You know, let's take more time or whatever, but whatever happens, it's going to be great because we're going to do a really great job, you know. I get your point about everything being core. And uh-huh. we could also say that even if what you see, it's a small part of the whole process when you buy the game and you play it, you should treat the whole process with the same level of respect. And it's a bit like a tree that you only see what's above ground, but you have a massive network of roots. That's a bit of a good comparison with game localization. You get just a small window into what the process was along the line. So everything should be treated with the same level of, of respect. It's not just a text box. It's a whole process behind it, a whole world, a whole creative journey of always more than one person. So that should be considered a score as well. Right, right. So do these social and mobile games, do they, like when they first launch a game, do they see it as an MVP, like a minimum viable product, the same way that a startup would? Just like they want to find out if they're going to fail or not. And so they put out something that's mediocre. Does that ever happen? I haven't seen that happen. Okay. But I I would say that probably those products don't get to the localization stage. Many mobile games are released in just one language. I've worked in many big mobile games, like at the time it was Marvel Avengers Alliance, which was big on Facebook, and that was treated almost like an AAA game, but they they knew it was going to be a hit. But there's a bit of everything. We've recently worked in in a game that had millions of words, and it had internal inconsistencies even in English. Mm-hmm. So there's a bit of everything, really, because they also, like mobile gaming companies, grow so fast that sometimes it's hard for them to cope with their own growth. Mm-hmm. Or, they've, or they fail miserably and they go down in flames, but that's just <laughs> the nature of business nowadays. Everything <laughs> like that moves fast. Cool. Well... I think we're probably ready to wrap this up. What do you yeah, think, Yeah, we can wrap it up. Well, it was great having you guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for the time and the space. Yeah, thanks for listening to all these awkward yeah, stories. Yeah, no, thanks for sharing your love story, you know. I'm sure that <laughs> we've improved <laughs> everybody's sharing. day that listens to this, so 
That's great. That's, That's a great. good thing to do. Yeah. Bye bye. All right, guys. Thank you so well, much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, guys.